Kicking back like, what's the date, what's the time? Match up proof, name a date, name a time. Fools in my league always want a peace of mind. Need a podcast for a little peace of mind. I'm in for a fix, teaching puppies old tricks. Renegade tips, know a dog and it sticks. Catch a couple licks, shock the league with a blitz. Find all of their ticks, don't get caught up in the mix. It's just another day. Just another day, ayy. See, I wanna catch the wave long before it's a play, ayy. Just another day. Just another day, ayy. Hold up, man. I think I found something. Let's do this. Rock to the beat, rock until you go senseless. Hitting all the gaps like I go into the dentist. Deep in a dot, man, these boys so pensive. Y'all in no man's land, we chilling in the trenches. Rock to the beat, rock until you go senseless. Hitting all the gaps like I go into the dentist. Deep in a dot, man, these boys so pensive. Y'all in no man's land, we chilling in the trenches. Welcome into the trenches. My name is Aaron Yakel. I go by Yakel Bank on Twitter. And sitting across from me is my co-host, Matthew Jackson, who goes by DHH Matt. It's been a minute, Matt, since we spoke and had a chance to record together. Tell the people what you've been up to. Man, I've been busy as, <laughs> busy as I don't know what, man. I've been started school back, getting my master's, and just got done moving. Got uh, moved out of the apartment life. I'm now in a house. So that's always exciting. <laughs> Lots of unpacking stuff like that. I'm sure anybody that's moved recently knows how much of a strenuous labor that is. But it's finally starting to slow down now. I'm excited to be back and start recording another episode. It's been far too long since we've done this. So I've been looking forward to this all week since we started talking about getting this thing back up again. I'm going to lower my camera real quick. I'm going to make sure you guys see this. For anybody that can't see at home, and that's probably all of you since we're recording <laughs> a podcast, but I've got my own fantasy football trenches shirt now. I have my wife's sister during Christmas. They, she made me a fantasy football trenches shirt. So, very first merchandise. I know Aaron's Aaron's a little jealous. He's been trying to get that, <laughs> get me to send him one. So I'm gonna have to work on that. But other than yeah, that, man, I've been great. Just excited to get this thing kicked off again. As soon as you opened it, I got a picture on my phone, making me jealous. Not nice. <laughs> We are very excited to bring in Andrew Harbaugh, co-founder and lead draft writer and scout for Coast to Coast Scouting. Thank you for joining us in the trenches, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Aaron. Matt got me a little down thinking about moving <laughs> when I was in high school. Between high school and getting into college, I had moved 22 times with my mom because oh, of man. obvious financial issues. So anytime I think about moving, I just ugh, wow. I shiver at the thought. So I... I don't want to move very often, so enough of that gross talk. We'll get to the football <laughs> stuff. But I'm excited to be here, Aaron and Matt. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, it was, it was not my intention to take Andrew to a dark place on our very first episode back. So I'm, I'm already I'm already down to strike one already, and we haven't even started yet. Hopefully we don't get the other two strikes. We need to get this pot out. All right, so with the ending of 2019, it's time to turn the page to 2020. The incoming crop of rookies needs to be talked about what this episode hopefully for the trenches is going to kick off is a series of looking at those incoming freshmen so to speak into the nfl realm we're going to begin by looking at the running backs matt and andrew have spent a lot of time paying attention to the college ranks and my personal hope is they can educate myself and the listener right along with me before we get going into the four guys we're going to start with today any thoughts on atn going back to clemson it's like I said before, Stream, we were talking about this, and, you know, this was a guy we're talking about that, from everything that I've seen, has, has at the worst a third-round 
projection into the NFL. And I know that next year's, we talked about next year's running back class doesn't have that headliner that this year does. It doesn't have that DeAndre Swift or that J.K. Dobbins that this class does. But every year we see that guy step out. So to me, when you have a third round projection on you at worst, there's a lot of risk in going back to school. I understand that he may want to win another national championship. Things didn't exactly go the way he wanted to this year. But at the same time, if you have the opportunity to make the kind of money that, that he was looking at, you're, you're taking a huge risk going back to school. You're, you're adding more work onto your legs, more touches where you can potentially t- take this huge hit that ends up, end, ends up costing you a load of money. And in the end, it's for, what, a move up a few extra picks in the draft. And I just – I understand he's got to do what's best for himself and his family, and I respect that. And if this is what's best for him, he needs to go and do that. I understand. But at the same time, it it, it confused me, and it, I haven't quite wrapped my head around where this fits into the big picture yet. Uh, for me personally, I think I, I honestly love the move for him. This class, he started out as RB1, if you ask Dwight from DLF and DHH, our buddy. And then, I mean, he, I've seen him all over the place from, like I said, RB1 for some people down to RB5 or 6 with some people. And that's not a knock on ETN. That's just a speaking of how deep this class is. And when you pair that with the potential, like you said, Matt, being a third-round pick or potentially even later, you pair that up with this class and the draft kind of being an unknown, especially with running backs. They're a dime a dozen anymore as far as how their draft value goes, not demeaning the pick. Or the position, but for ETM staying in school, I think next year he'll compete with Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State who stayed, Najee Harris who stayed, and himself. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that you'd have three senior running backs competing for the RB1 because usually it's a young man's game. But next year's class, there's not a lot of names that are really like household names at this point. For anybody that's just looking at rookie picks and not in Devi. You got Zamir White in Georgia, Puka Williams in Kansas, who has the background issues, his off the field incidents, and Keontae Ingram in Texas are just a couple I can think of offhand. CJ Verdell also in Oregon. I think when you pair that up with just kind of the landscape being up in the air and him ending the season the way they did at Clemson, I don't know if Debo is sharing some of that twelve million dollars he's getting a year or what, but between him and Nick Saban, they're master negotiators and master recruiters and in home. So I think for ETF, he could have gone and been fine. He'll stay and be fine either way. I think he'll be good. Yeah, and I agree with that. You know, he's he's get, he's going to get drafted next year. That's that's the bottom line. And he he very right. well may see an increase in stock. So he's he's not making a move that's going to cost him anything. I guess when I look at it, I if if I were in that position and I don't have near the athletic talent that 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 kid has, that's it's not even close. If I were in that position. I'm taking the money and I'm avoiding the risk of a, of a serious injury. That, that's just the way I think. I hear you on that. <laughs> yeah, injury is definitely a risk there going back. However, with that passed, let's move into the guys we do get to think about for 2020. Andrew, I believe you are going to talk about Eno Benjamin, uh, Arizona State University. From what I can see of this uh, young man coming out, I see – Legs that never stop moving. He's breaking tackles, uh, especially if you try to tackle him low. I don't see him coming down very often if you uh, go for the lower legs and certainly not coming down with a shoestring tackle. And when he does fall, he seems to always be falling forward. 
Am I let, leading down the right path here, Andrew, or is uh, I completely wrong on Eno? No, no, I think Eno is one of those guys where um, it's something I didn't think about until after the fact. And if Dwight listens to this as well as we keep bringing him up, um, yes, he's deep down in my heart still, and I'm always thinking of him, obviously. I, I picked two senior bowl guys, and I didn't do that intentionally, but I just think that's fitting considering what we got coming up next week. But for Eno, yeah, like you talked about, the legs don't stop moving. And for his frame, he's only – He's listed at 5'10", 210 from university. I'm interested to see what he weighs in and gets measured at during the Senior Bowl. That's going to be big for him, I think, with scouts. Because he does look a little small at times, but like you talked about, he keeps his legs moving. He uses his shoulders. He's not afraid of contact, sometimes almost to a fault. I can't remember what game it was I was watching of his last year. And he had a clear path to the end zone, and he kind of like circled back and then found the contact just to fall into the end zone. In the NFL, you just got to take the score. So that's something that coaching-wise can be cleaned up. Stat-wise, though, because I know that's something for fantasy players, that's what we're always looking at. You, If you look them up and you're just looking strictly at the box score, you're going to see a 600-yard drop-off in rushing based on an uptick in catches because of Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, freshman phenom who took over under Herm Edwards at Arizona State. And you see him get used in the passing game a lot. He has over 70 catches in his three years there, went from five catches his freshman year, 35 his second year, and 42 last year. He, he's an elusive back when he wants to be, but he's a versatile back. And I think in today's NFL, that's where he's going to really make his money, so to speak. I see a little bit with Sean McCoy whenever I watch him, just in terms of having that breakaway speed, but also having that versatility in the passing game. So, I mean, fantasy players know how nice Sean McCoy was for years. And I'm not saying we're going to have that out of Eno Benjamin, but I see the similar play style. That should be exciting for anybody with a probably a late first, early second, or mid-second 2020 pick. You can get a steal of Eno Benjamin, depending on the landing spot. Let me ask you a question, Andrew, just because this is something I'm curious about because admittedly I haven't seen much of Eno Benjamin's game tape. I'm not the type of person that looks at stats – alone Uh, you know everybody that just looks up him in the box scores like you talked about sees that nearly 600 yard drop i'm more concerned myself with the efficiency of the carries that he's getting what is not not what is he doing season long but what is he doing with each individual carry and each individual touch that he's getting and if you if you're just a fantasy owner coming into it and looking at that you see a drop off from a 5.5 yard per carry average down to a 4.3 yard per carry average. Would you say that's due to an offensive line struggle, um, different utilization, and what he's being used as for this team? Or what, what would you attribute that to? Yeah, I would say a lot of it would be Jaden Daniels being a dual threat uh, quarterback doesn't help. Last year, or the year before, when they had quarterback he had last year was nowhere near the talent level of Jaden Daniels and went undrafted. Last year, you didn't have to stack the box on him. Whereas with Jane Daniels, you kind of still got to have guys spy and kind of stay around. So I think that affected Eno a little bit. But on the flip side of that, last year, they're still stacking the box for Eno, and he did fine. I just think it was a little bit more of Jane Daniels kind of changing the offense to go around him. And like you talked about, the offensive line, they only have one offensive lineman that's on my watch list right now, and that's Zach Robertson. And even though he, with that, I have a UDF UDFA grade on him so far. Still haven't gotten a lot of lineman tape in, but it, it's nothing great out there in the desert. Herb Edwards is doing a great job recruiting. He just got 
uh, this year. Kevin Malai on to be an offensive line coach. So that could improve for the next crop that I come up. But I do think, you know, just kind of this year had a new offense and different kind of blocking schemes and the line play was not the greatest. So it's one of those things where once he gets to the NFL, I think he'll be fine. But yeah, the yards per carry, like you mentioned, yeah, there is a dip there as well. Yeah, but outside, it's like you said, you know, outside of the yards per carry, you you saw a guy that that showed the physicality as a runner and and still had that breakaway yeah. speed that you're looking for in today's NFL. And and not only that, he he showed the receiving chops that, you know, let let's keep it, let's keep everything on the table in today's NFL and especially in today's fantasy circle. If you're not a back that can catch the ball, I don't want you on my fantasy team. That that's just the way it works. He he's shown his entire career that he can be a back that does that. So he, he's going to be a successful back in the NFL um, if he can land in the right situation, I think. Yeah, to your point, Matt, 42 catches, some guys don't get that all three, four years. To hear that, you know, got that in the one year was, was pretty exciting. Moving on to our next guy, Matt, you uh, mentioned possible offensive line issues uh, with Eno in the drop. One of two things I know about Cam Akers, one – I've always heard that he had a horrible offensive line. Trust his talent. You'll see different things in the NFL. The other thing is that I know of three Debbie drafts I was in last year, Cam Akers fell to me at all of them, and I, was, I scooped him up right away. Did I make a good choice? When you look at the Debbie community right now, Cam Akers is, is the talked about guy right now that has all the potential of the world that it is just blatantly in a crappy situation right now. He was the freshman darling coming in to Debbie Circles well when he when he first came out of high school. And like you talked about, you know, last year, I know myself looking at it, you, you could essentially get acres for free. And that due due to his stats and what people were looking at, we are we are a community that overreacts and a community that doesn't really dive in to what what they're doing on the field. We look at what their stats say on a piece of paper. I think that's a fair assumption to say. So I almost had to take my, myself back out of the situation. And I watched a few games over the last few days, and, and I, I took a unbiased approach to it and said, okay, we know that he's playing for a bad team. We know that he's playing behind a bad offensive line. But what is he doing with those carries? You know, I talked. we talked a while ago where I look at the efficiency of carries. When I look at, at Cam Akers, I see a running back that is patient behind the line of scrimmage. He sits back and waits for his holes to develop. He, he almost has that Le'Veon Bell-esque patience to him, waiting for his holes to develop and waiting for the right opportunity to hit those holes that, frankly, on a Florida State team, never, never open half the time. When he does hit the hole, you see a runner that is strong and is is, is powerful at the point of contact. You know, he punishes defenders in, in the open space. I was watching one game where he was playing Wake Forest, and he he had this stiff arm on a Wake Forest defender that just kind of made you jump back in your seat. And I mean, he he essentially looked like he was playing high school again against a bunch of kids that were far less experienced than him. And I understand this is Wake Forest, but he, he made this defender eat the dirt in a way that made that left you going just wow. Um, you see he has the balance that you want in a running back. He takes on multiple defenders, and it takes multiple defenders to take him down. With this being said, he's not the back that you're going to draft that's going to hit home runs for you. That's, that's not his game. He's the type of back that is going to punish 
the defense and wear this defense out carry after carry. He's one that's going to, like I said, have these strong runs and have these punishing runs that wears a defense out. At the same time, he's one that we talked about receiving chops and how that's important in today's NFL. He had 69 career catches in his college career. So he, he's got those receiving chops. He's got the ability to be a great running back. He's got the ability to great, be a great three-down running back, too, because he also shows the willingness and the effectiveness in the blocking game, too. So when you, when you look back and look at just the stats, you don't see all of this. But when you're watching his game, you see a really great running back that can do some special things if given the right opportunity and given a team that isn't as bad quite as Florida State is. Andrew, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, just to add to that, last year, he this year he definitely looked a lot better. Last year as a whole, Florida State was just kind of all over the place with the DeAndre Francois situation with the videotape with him and then him getting kicked out of school. Quarterback carousel they had this year with Helinski from Wisconsin leaving and Aaron, you being a Wisconsin guy, you know, he's not helping anybody on that offense. James Blackman, who flashed, uh, but never got the consistent playing ability. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind when looking at Cam Akers is he's not going to, well, there's three things. One, he's not going to have a lot of touches going in. Two, he's going to be 20. He won't turn 21 until right after, right before training camp. He's going to be 20 years old when he gets drafted, so he's still learning. He's a kid in every essence of the word, going into the locker room with a bunch of grown men that are going to coach him up, give him the right support system that he never got at Florida State, I think, too. And then three, Willie Taggart's at Florida Atlantic, and he's nowhere near the NFL. So no matter where he goes, he's going to be stepping into a better situation because he's going to be nowhere near Willie Taggart and his crazy ass formations. If you don't have any on this episode now, you do. I apologize, Aaron. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, uh, I, I yeah, he's I, on the other ones as well. I kind of want to hit on that too. Is you know we talk a lot about age age adjusted production and your breakout age for for a season. And for Cam Akers, that was that was young. And for the most part, when you see a young guy coming that has the stats that he had at his age, more often than not, they're they're effective in the NFL. So that that's something that I wanted to throw out too. Now, now, that's not to say that I don't have concerns about Akers, too, because there were concerns on his tape. He's got, I think, you guys can roast me in the comment section if you want after this if I'm wrong, but I think he has 10 career fumbles in his college season. So I'm a little worried about maybe possible fumble issues. He's got a few what I, what I like to call focus drops in the passing game where he's trying to turn and make a play before he properly secures the ball. So there's some issues that I'm worried about, but at the same time, they're not issues that hinder me from getting him at the price that you were able to get him for recently. I like it. Andrew, your next guy. I know you're a fan of the Florida Gators, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. I think I, I think a lot of unsuspecting owners here are going to see this last name and, and kind of be scared away after maybe being hurt by a fellow named Samaje. Tell me about LaMichael Pirine. I'm seeing that he likes to bounce off tackles quite a bit when, when somebody's there, but if nobody's there and he hits a hole, he's gone and nobody's catching him. Yeah, he is, like I mentioned, he's another senior bowl guy. He's actually from Mobile, so it's going to be a homecoming for him next week. I think he's going to get a lot of attention, which he deserves. Yeah, Samaje, his cousin, Okay. that name has a lot of fantasy owners scared because, I mean, I remember getting him late in drafts and thinking, oh, man, I said him in Washington, it's a perfect situation. All he has to do is beat out Chris Thompson, yada, yada, yada. 
and he'll be fine. And obviously, we all know how that goes. He's now in the XFL, I believe, with Joe Horn, who just got traded. So there's our fun fact of the episode. But <laughs> back to the Michael. No, this year, I mean, Florida as a whole took a gigantic jump when Felipe Franks broke his ankle. And, and I love Felipe Franks, everything he's done for Florida. He needs to play baseball. I know he's talked about transferring and he's talked about maybe staying in Florida. No, when that offense got taken over by Kyle Trask, Michael Pirine, Tyree Cleveland, Van Jefferson, not to kind of get off of the running backs here, they all took a giant uptick. And a lot of that's Dan Mullen and a lot of that's Kyle Trask. But at the same time, Trask was able to open it up to where Pirine, like you talked about, he's going to get those holes. And you saw that burst. I don't remember him ever being fast in my life. Like he, he used to be a bruiser and he was just going to be the goal line guy between him and Davis. And they had a trio of running backs last year. But for this year, he kind of took the reins of the workhorse that be for Florida at running back, and he didn't give him back. We saw in the Virginia game, he looked fantastic. He was a big reason why they won that game. But as a whole this year, my favorite thing about him, and it's something like we talked about with a box score scout, he went from having five receptions his freshman year, 12 receptions his second year. And you talked about this, Matt. You want a running back who's going to be able to catch in today's NFL – Went to 37 catches this year. Ooh. So we saw a 25-catch 25, 25 uptick. And we saw the same amount of carries, and we still had another six back-to-back 1,600-yard seasons. The playmaking ability never left. We just added a new dynamic to it. And I think, like you talked about, you pair that name up with being a Florida running back. Like For me, he's in my top 10. He's hovering right around 10 or 11. But I think for a lot of guys, depending on situation for him and landing spot, he could be the steal of rookie drafts. And I'm hoping uh, the Senior Bowl this coming week really gives him a big uptick. I think it will based on the attention he'll get and everything. But I think as far as two guys I really think you could win your leagues with for not just potentially this year but years to come, you've got Eno Benjamin and you got LaMichael Pirine. So I'll quit talking for a minute because my cold's coming out and I'm getting nasally. So, Matt, you can chime in now. <laughs> LaMichael Pirine is, is one guy that is – confused the mess out of me not in previous years but especially this year and Andrew maybe you can help me work through some of some of what I'm thinking and feeling here but when I'm watching him I see the big playability I see the contact balance and the ability to bounce off his bounce off potential tacklers he I see the skills that are gonna translate to today's NFL but at the same time I'm a little worried about his production in game scenarios he he's a back that that shows up in in big time games like we talked about in the Virginia game, but at the same time he's a back that I've seen disappear when the game matters or not not when the game matters when he when he's playing competitions that don't don't quite re- reach the level of you know the Virginias or the LSU's that he played or whatever. So that that's something that's really kind of confused me, especially this season. So he, he's one that I'm not entirely sure on right now. I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's just something that I'm still trying to work through right now. No, Andrew, I was just saying that he, he's a he's a running back that's really confused me, especially this season. I see I see the contact balance that he has uh, in bouncing off potential defenders, and I see the the home run ability and the just crazy speed that this kid has. I see the receiving chops. But what I also see is a guy that shows up in the big games, and you know shows up in the Virginias and the versus the LSU's and versus the Auburns. 
but a guy that disappears when it comes to lower competition. I think he was playing – let me look it up to make sure I get the right game. But he was playing Kentucky and had a 1.9 yards per carry average. So I don't know what, – what are your thoughts when it comes to that sort of situation? Well, what did Matt say? <laughs> he is worried about his 1.9 yards per carry against Kentucky. Anything to come back against that. Kentucky, I, I, I will say, Kentucky always plays Florida very well, and I'm sure they game plan for Piron. On the opposite side of that, though, look at what he did against teams like LSU, Auburn. He was a big part of that win. And they have four defensive linemen who are going to get drafted, led by Derek Brown, who's a top-five player. I, I would say it's probably one of those like hiccup games you have. I mean, look at Zeke in the NFL. He has, I swear to God, one every month, it feels like. But I, I think it's one of those things where it, it's something to look at and to find that game and watch it and kind of go over it. But I wouldn't dwell on it so much compared to what he did against the other teams. Okay, good to hear. Moving on, Matt. The the fourth guy and last guy we're going to talk about may be the most fresh in the general populace mind as he just played in the national championship game. Tell me about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I've seen a lot of people comparing him to uh, MJD or, or Ray Rice. The little bit I've seen of him with the moves that he has, and, and the, it looks like a lot of people are not able to tackle him either. He's, he's kind of shifty and, and has the moves, kind of uh, like I was seeing in Devin Singletary last year. Yeah, this is one guy that I really wanted to touch on, especially this episode. You know, he's still fresh in our minds because everybody just saw the national championship where he, he went off in that game, right? So this is one guy that I really wanted to dive into and look and see if it, this is all hype or is this something that we really have something with this kid here. And what I found was this is a kid that I'm going to be pounding the table for this entire rookie draft process. When you watch him on tape, he's got that contact balance that just makes him hard to tackle in open space. He's a shifty runner between the tackles. I think his iconic move that I can see when I'm watching game tell build him, he's got just this absolutely filthy spin move. It's one that he, he uses just about every game that I've seen. And especially in the national championship game, he used it one time and put this Clemson defender just on skates. And he did the same thing in, in Auburn. It, it, it almost looked like he was putting guys in a spin cycle and, and doing laundry on them. Like it's, it was just this absolutely filthy move that he's got to create this just shiftiness in open space. He's got an explosion that, that you want to see in your running backs. When he was playing Alabama in, in their number two versus number three game that we all saw in, in the middle of the season, there was this one play where standing at his height right now is five foot eight inches, and he just absolutely cleared the line of scrimmage, hurtling over everybody into the touchdown, doing almost a somersault front flip into the end zone. He's got this lower body explosion, and the shiftiness in the open space that's just absolutely unreal. You know, I've heard the Maurice Jones-Drew and Ray Rice comp, and he, he's definitely very Maurice Jones-Drew-esque in his game, the way he plays it. One thing that I really want to hit on is just his phenomenal pass-catching ability. We've said it this entire show that if you're drafting a running back in rookie drafts, you want a running back that's got these receiving chops. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might be one of the best of them when it came to the college game this season. There were plays he would line up in the slot. He would run around out of the backfield. They, they would even line him in their offense up out wide, playing a wide receiver position. And this dude was running routes. When I tell you he was running outcuts, he was running slants, he was running little wheel routes out of the backfield. Like his, his route running is advanced at this point. He wasn't just catching the ball with his body. You know, you see a lot of running backs nowadays that, you know, really let the ball fall into the body, catch it like that, trying to protect the ball 
they don't really know what they're doing when it comes to the receiving game. Edwards Hilaire, every time I watched him, he was he was extending both of his hands out to the ball like you would see a wide receiver do. He was he was running these perfect wheel routes to the end zone, catching these 40-yard bombs. I mean, he was he has got the receiving chops. He's got the explosion and the shiftiness of the holes. He's got the powerful way to punish runners. He's got the long speed in his game. He has the ability to take to take take it to the house when he wants to. This is a guy that that I'm telling you what, if you've got a mid to late round first round pick, I would use it on this kid. This is a kid that if you need if there's one guy I feel that you need to reach for in this draft, it's Edward Hilaire. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, this kid is gonna be something special and he's going to win you a championship before your dynasty career is set and done. Andrew, with with the reception prowess that we've heard Matt talk about, do you see Edward Tolaire worth that mid to late first round pick, or should we wait early second to get him? I think a team with him is with his size may be scared off a little bit, um, but they'll recognize the talent and the skills that he does have. I could see him kind of being a rotational guy for a year or two, kind of like he talked about with Devin Singletary in Buffalo. I think this coming year he takes over after Frank Gore, wherever he plays next, because he'll probably play as long as <laughs> Benny White's alive, who turns 28. But I think for him, he'd be a fun guy in a rotation. Maybe somewhere like New Orleans, where he takes that Latavius Murray-type role with Alvin Kamara, or get him in that rotation in Baltimore, or somewhere. And they have so many backs, obviously. I think he would be a lot of fun in New England, in that James White role. I just, the pass catching is going to be the biggest thing with him. So, and his measurements, depending on how he gets, he weighs in and height and everything, will be big for the combine. So, his biggest thing is getting into a team that's going to use him with his best skill set, not just throw him in the backfield and say, "This is where I want you to go," and that be the end of it. Got to let him have some creativity. Let him use that unique size ability to break tackles, which is still just amazing to me. I mean, we've seen him. I'd probably say on Twitter today, I've seen. People talking about him being a top five running back in this class. And before the year, I, I remember watching the Florida game last year, back this year when I was trying to get some LSU. I was watching Joe Burrow, who was another guy that coming into the year, nobody was high on. But him and Hilaire were quietly like a UDFA day three type picks in the NFL draft. Now we're talking about them being first rounders and rookie drafts. I'm, I'm telling you, man, when you watch this kid on tape, he just flashes. And there, there's something there in, in this game tape that just make that makes him pop off the screen and just to get to to Andrew's point I don't think what he's saying here is he's going to be this rotational back that you can't ever start in fantasy look at Mark Ingram when he was in New Orleans RB1 look at you know even Mark Ingram when he was in Baltimore RB1 look at James White and the Patriots RB1 he he's not this guy that you that you just have sitting on the back end of your roster and never start he's going to be in the right system He's going to be a rotational back at worst that flashes all game and can do something crazy for for an NFL team and for the right system. That is great to hear, guys. I'm so excited that we've been able to get together and and have these four four guys before my eyes. I'm I'm really getting stoked for this season just with the start of this. And like I said, our hope is that this gets to continue, whether it's with some more running backs or wide receivers. We're really hoping that you guys tell us what you'd like to hear. As always, you can find us at the FF Trenches. Andrew, Matt and I thank you very much for giving us your time. 
Where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Andrew NFL Draft. They're putting out a lot of Senior Bowl content as we head down there here. You know, on Sunday, fly down. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be in the air for the AFC and NFC Championship games. So when I land, I'll take off not knowing who's in the Super Bowl, and I'll land knowing who's in the Super Bowl. So it'll be different for me to miss those games, but I'm excited for the Senior Bowl, my second year being down there and getting to do uh, media day, meet the players, talk to them, ask some questions. Talk to you know Benjamin with Michael P Ryan and I'll maybe I'll ask I'll, I'll I'll tell you what Matt I will ask P Ryan what was up with the Kentucky game and I'll be sure to let you know what he says about it. Yeah, I, I would appreciate that if you could do that for me. That'd be a solid. <laughs> help help me figure out what I can't figure out with him. <laughs> Andrew, will you be surprised when you get off the plane to see Kansas City and Green Bay in the Super Bowl? I will not be surprised to see the State Farm Bowl is what it's going to be if that happens. Because they obviously paid off the reps to move that first down marker. We both know that, Aaron. Here's something something that I want to point out. Honestly, people who are asking me and families ask me about who I want in the Super Bowl, I'm totally okay with whatever matchup happens because I love the brilliance that Belichick is, but it's kind of fun this year just having something new thrown in the mix. I would love to see Tennessee – and Mike Vrabel potentially have to cut off his genitalia as he promised before the year if he gets a Super Bowl win. Andrew, safe travels down to the Senior Bowl. We look forward to see the stuff coming out and all your knowledge you gain from there. Matt, is there anything else you'd like to say before we close up shop? Yeah, I just appreciate you having you on, Andrew. For all of you guys listening, if you just leave a leave a comment in our uh, review section, just let us know who you want us to talk about next. I'm, we've got all these guys that we need to break down, so... We want to hear from y'all. Uh, send us a message on Twitter. Let us know who you want us to talk about, and we'll definitely start hitting it. And once again, you can find us both at the FF Trenches, Matt at DHH underscore Matt, and myself at Yakenbake, Y-A-K-E-A-N-B-A-K-E. Thanks again, guys, and we'll see you in the next Trenches.